Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earl. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. This is episode 105, and I'm Amanda Earl. It is uh, I, uh, recording this on, uh, oh, what day is it? Oh, now I've forgotten what day it is. Great. Well, our get, I'll, I'll figure that out later. Our guest uh, today is James Knight, uh, a visual poet and also a um, the uh, publisher of Steel Incisors from the UK. And uh, welcome to the show, James. Thank you very much, Amanda. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to, to meet you, albeit virtually, for the first time. Yeah, lovely to meet you too. And we certainly, we know each other. We we, we have um, a history of some publishing together and different things. So uh, yeah, so that's that's great. And uh, as uh, Richard Kapner points out from Hempress, it's one Hempress author in uh, uh, interviewing another Hempress author. So I think he was quite pleased about that. So uh, that's Yeah, nice. sure he'll milk it plenty. That's it. <laughs> I remember the date now. The date that we're recording this is June. The, is it's Wednesday, June the fourteenth, twenty twenty-three. So I've now remembered the date. I'm, I'm online, and uh, hopefully we'll have the episode up uh, shortly thereafter. But uh, one of the things I'm doing this year is um, we had for Angel House Press we had the Caring Imagination crowdfunding campaign, and uh, we were fortunate to have a successful crowdfunding campaign. So I was really pleased about that for the second year in a row, which enabled us to pay our writers for our contributors to nationalpoetrymonth.ca and also Experiment O, and uh, which Experiment O will be coming out later this year in November. So, so this is really helpful. And one of the one of the great things about um, about about the campaign is that we were able to get the support of lots of publishers who donated books and chapbooks and ephemera and merch and all and and steel incisors was one of those so i really appreciate that james so i wanted to say thank you for that no it's my pleasure because I, I, mean, I, I do think that the you know small press scene it has to be self-sustaining and you have to have mutual support amongst you know all these people who are spending a lot of time and effort and anguish trying to get these projects out into the world and you can't do it on your own and i think you know supporting other other presses and other people i think is, is is tremendously important and it was lovely to be invited to you know to be able to give some goodies like that in, in support of what you're doing thanks yeah it, it, it's great we were really lucky that so many i was sort of surprised for the second year in a row that we managed to get so many uh donors so i was really pleased and hopefully that, hopefully everyone's well a lot of people will be able to do it in the future too because as far as i'm concerned it's, it's a good way of of um of getting support so far we'll see we'll see what innovative things we have to do what songs and dances yeah. are necessary in future uh, yeah. i think, I think our, my first association with you was on twitter before i knew who you were it was when you started you were starting steel incisors and you were talking about it and that that was that was my first uh, so i didn't know who who this person was who was starting this press that was visual poetry with teeth i was like what's that about i want to know more about this for sure so that was my first uh, First yeah, introduction, and, and that was and that was when it was just an idea. Yeah, and, um, and I had I had no sort of I hadn't started anything, and I you know I didn't know what I was going to publish, 
Um, so I sort of came up with the name and the tagline and the logo first, um, you know, which is completely the wrong way to do things probably. But I just, yeah, I, I just sort of, because I'm so um, enthusiastic about visual poetry and I think it's such a, an incredible, rich form, um, I, I just thought it, it would be really cool to, um, to support work by other authors by publishing it and um and the, the visual poetry with teeth thing i suppose was just um i suppose I just wanted to um establish that it would be um it, it would be of substance and that um it might sort of leap out to people a little bit it might it might be a little bit abrasive at times um it, or it might engage with with um big issues perhaps it, it, it was pretty vague it was a pretty vague concept but I just wanted, I suppose I wanted to um, support and publish visual poetry, which maybe had something interesting to say about the world. Um, and, and so that, and thus was born, you know, the, the tagline and everything. And I sort of just took it then from there in terms of this kind of stuff I was looking for. When we, uh, after we started Angel House Press, like maybe a couple of years later, we were at a, another small press fair in Toronto called Meet the Presses. And I said to my husband, we were tabling in, at this fair, and I said, hey, what about Devil House? And he's like, cool, what do we do with it? I don't know. I don't know. Let's just go. So for a while, Devil House was our, our transgressive prose imprint. Like just because we had Angel House Press, we had to have Devil House, but we didn't know what we were going to do with it. So, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. I get that inclination. I think, I, bet, I think you'd be surprised to learn that a lot of people come up with a name before they come up with anything else or something <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll ask Richard when did what came for. I think Richard had from Capener from Hem Press had the idea of having a press for a long time before Hem the the name Hem Press came. But you'll never know. I will next time he's on the show. I'll have to ask him about that. I, I, I it's like we're starting in the middle of a conversation. I should ask you these questions that I, I like to ask at the beginning. So I'm gonna I'm oh, gonna yeah. with asking you, um, James Knight. What would you like listeners to know about you? In lieu of reading your bio, I, I ask you what you what you'd like listeners to know about you. Um, I suppose that uh, what would I like them to know? Okay, so I, I think that poetry is an activity that isn't just about words on a page, um, and so for me, it's a multimedia activity, and um, so my own work is. A lot of it, yeah, is visual poetry and film poetry, uh, but also performance is really important to me as well. Um, you know, standing up in front of people and doing and doing strange things. Um, and so I think I, th I think poetry should always be um, a provocation, not not in a sense of something that's going to sort of necessarily offend people, but but something that will provoke a response um, and get people talking um, and maybe sort of break some norms along the way. And I suppose with with my work, that's what I'm always trying to do. And I'm always trying to uh, find new means to explore interesting ideas. Um, and I, I never, never really want to uh, settle into repeating myself. Yeah, I get that. I get that too. I, I feel the same way. I don't, I don't like to do the same things. Uh, although I do, I do long, like I do some things like similar, like uh, my, my Vispo Bible I've been working on since 2015. I'm still doing similar things with it. So I guess in a way that's, that's one project where I am, but a lot, I like to do a lot of different things as well. So, yeah. And I have uh, one of the things that, that, I have. That project that, you yeah. know, the Vispo Bible, that's like your magnum opus, isn't it? And yeah. so of course that is going to have to stretch over years and years and years, isn't it? Yeah. 
I started it in 2015. When I started it, I wasn't sure that I, I was going to because um, I, I, I knew that, I mean, it, it's a big project and I, I, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to finish it in my lifetime. And I, I talked that over with a friend who said, well, so if you don't finish it in your lifetime, so what, you know, is that, is that going to be a problem? You know, like, and I uh, thought, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe other people can finish. Maybe they can, I mean, maybe other people. And I, I like the idea of other people doing their own versions of the Vispo Bible, whatever, or whatever version of it they want to do. So, and, 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 you know, even you, James, if you want to do a Vispo Bible thing, do it. Like, I don't own the Bible, that's for sure. <laughs> so there's a lot of other maybe. people with the bible so you know well the gospel according to james that'd be good <laughs> you are, that already yeah. Yeah, i guess a new oh, one. there's already one of those isn't there <laughs> yeah it could be james the second or something like that yeah, yeah. james knight gospel so that's yeah it. yeah i well i have cosmic horror and i really like it one uh, this is the hem press pamphlet and what what i like about it especially it's got a real sense of the macabre and the kind of it's it's dramatic and and yeah so and and i think that extends to the aesthetic of the press as well when did steel incisors what what year was that that it started i'm trying to remember it wasn't it was a few years ago now oh i think it was was it 2020 when i started started tweeting about it i think yeah i think 2020 was vaguely the, the start date was it but just it, it kind of the pandemic Sorry? Was it just before the pandemic? That you yeah, started? possibly it was actually. It might well have been. My, my <laughs> recollection is a little bit hazy actually because it started as such a kind of tenuous concept which was just yeah. kind of floating background. But it, it kind of got, I think it got underway properly um, I, I think in around, I think it was June, August 2021 um, when I published um, Bastard Poems by S.J. Fowler. Right. Um, I thought that kind of kickstarted it properly, and then I, and then I had quite a few. I published quite a few books um, after that um, in, in fairly rapid succession. Most most of them throughout twenty twenty two. Yeah, and it's 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 been a little bit quiet this year. I mean, you know, the press has has struggled. You know, um, you know, sales have definitely um, been struggling a bit, and I think you know the the cost of greed crisis and you know, the, the, the troubles people are having just making ends meet is absolutely, yeah. uh, you know, I'm seeing that in, in sales, absolutely. Um, but I've got I've got a few more in the pipeline, a few more projects in the pipeline, and um, and we'll, we'll see how we go once, once they're done. You know, I, I, I don't know how many um, how many more years I'll be doing steel incisors for, um, but I've been enjoying it so far, and it's very much, a, you know, taking it a year at a time, I guess. Well, these are the projects for this year. Let's enjoy those and and see what happens next. Yeah, I I, I know what you mean. I've been I mean I've been talking to other publishers as well who are talking about orders being fewer, and uh, so we have to find ways to uh, to support each other. And the other thing is, I I will post a link on the show notes as well and encourage people to go to the site because there's lots of great stuff. Uh, something that's out of print now, but that I have is the Mouth of a Lion, apocalyptic visual poetry, which is really great. The uh, the anthology yeah. that you did. Um, when did this come out? Was it 2022 or is it 2021? I'm trying to remember. Well, it probably that tells me. Nice. 2021, it says. Okay. It's 21. There you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's it. And uh, I, I, I hope you don't mind if I, if I just, uh, I'd like to read, you have this really interesting afterwards. So I just, just uh, want to read the paragraph and then we can talk about it. If you don't yeah, mind sure. the first paragraph, just the first paragraph. Uh, so this is the afterward, afterwards, afterwards. If you can get my pronunciation for the different words and words 
Okay, setting up steel incisors at a time when visual poetry was enjoying a new vogue, I wanted to create a platform for work that challenged and provoked. It stuck. It struck me at the time that the dominant modes in visual poetry tended towards abstraction, elegant minimalism, semiotic games, and self-reflexivity. More often than not, a visual poem seemed to be about itself or about the shapes of letters or geometric figurations. In a sense, visual poetry is predominantly investigation into visual language, words, symbols, pictures, etc., that question how meaning is generated. Much as I admire a lot of work in this vein, I would argue that the mainstream of Vispo, which is already making me laugh at the idea of the mainstream of Vispo, James, that's is but, I love that. I love the main. I love that Vispo is now mainstream. So funny. And the people who who are mainstream wouldn't like the word Vispo. So that's just okay. The mainstream of Vispo is too comfortable with itself, too snugly ensconced in its own conventions and limited range of subject matter. Yes, a generalization, and yes, there are numerous exceptions. But just as a poem can be about anything, so can a visual poem. Imagine visual poetry as daring, complex, and visionary as the poetry of Aimé César, César, sorry, Allen Ginsberg. Alejandra Pizarnik and Carson Eseberg. Imagine visual poetry that has things to say about the worlds beyond itself. Imagine visual poetry that makes expressive use of kitsch, incongruity, excess and ugliness, rather than defaulting always to tasteful harmony. I love this. This is fantastic. It was really fun to read that. So um, so when you when you went into that, and, and of course it's the subject is apocalyptic visual poetry. So when you wrote that, and I'm going to say it's a manifesto, even though it's an afterword and after, but I, I mean, uh, what, uh, what, uh, uh, what uh, were you, where were you looking for, what was, what were you seeing in the visual poetry world? Like, where were you looking for your visual poetry and being, I mean, this is why anthologies are often started, right? We see a lack, that's why we started Judith, yeah. uh, Women Making Visual Poetry, because we saw that there weren't many, many women that were anthologized, so um, yeah. Well, that's a reason why. But so what were you seeing? Uh, where were you looking and finding like the sort of dominant examples? Were you, was it mostly in anthologies or where? where um, I suppose at a number of places. Really. Yes, certainly some of the anthologies and some of the things that um, a, a lot of the, the other um, visual poetry presses were publishing. And I wouldn't for a minute, you know, denigrate what they're doing at no. all. But it, but it, but it, but I could see these more sort of dominant forms coming through, as I described there, um, and, and I just had this sort of sort of vague sense that, um, and obviously I'm I'm posturing slightly, <laughs> but I but I had this vague sense that, you know, let's let's challenge people to um, think of visual poetry maybe in slightly different terms. So, for example, um, the uh, the American publisher Inside the Castle. Um, a lot of their books um, are marketed as, you know, I suppose experimental fiction or whatever. But for me, a lot of their books are, are really visual poetry, uh, and, and they're because because they're very very graphic, and, and, the, and the kind of graphic elements are, are really important. Um, but it's the kind of graphic that is very different from what you get in stuff that calls itself visual poetry or which is self consciously considered visual poetry. It tends to be a bit messier. A bit more kind of industrialized, a bit more brutal, I think. Um, and so I was kind of inspired by what they were doing and and a few other things I'd seen, you know, and, and artists and so on. I love. And I just thought, you know, um, it would be it would be great to see people thinking about visual poetry in slightly different terms now, and thinking about the possibilities of visual poetry in slightly different terms. It's not, you know, visual poetry which isn't just about language, it isn't just about itself, that maybe actually points to something beyond itself in a really, really 
interesting and stimulating and infuriating way, you know. <laughs> so, and so when I put the call out for submissions, I mean, I was completely inundated, which was lovely. Um, and, you know, um, and I had, had, had this hell of a job trying to, trying to choose the stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah never, never, you know, it's not a nice process in many ways. Um, but, I but I chose stuff that at the time seemed to me to kind of fit yeah. this kind of vague notion I had. So, but What I find is that when we were putting together Judith, a lot of people who we talked to about their work, we did, Joachim and I, with the help of um, uh, the broader community of publishers and, and letterpress and all these different groups, um, we found that people, well, I found that peop, uh, a lot of women, for instance, did not refer to themselves as visual poets, but the work and the work that they did was often more in the art world or even in male art or in like other sort of, they would be working in or with ascemic writing, especially, which is, has a more higher involvement in the visual with painting and, and other media, for instance. Sometimes I think that, um, and it, I, I think that um, for me, one of the differences is, is one of the sort of predominant um, um, kind of the, the work that had been centered and held up. A lot of it was traced back to the concrete poetry The I can never pronounce that word right. What is it? Uh, let me see. I have it here somewhere. I think it's Noah, Noah Gardi, Gandres or Gardis, you know, the, the sort of the Brazilian. So the very strict uh, uh, connection to the ge uh, geometric and really sticking with the grid. And it, it, there's such a reverence for that work. And I love that work, but it does feel, um, and, and it was deliberately uniform. So there's a lot, I found there there are a lot of people working in that form uh, still, which is which is cool, but it's not the only way to make visual poetry. And yeah. um, I, I noticed that I was looking in the, the book by, um, I haven't read this yet, but someone kindly gave me a copy of Willard Bones, uh, The Aesthetics of Visual Poetry from 1914 to 1928. And one thing he said was he said that the difference between concrete poetry and visual poetry is visual poetry, uh, what he said, which I thought that was really interesting, he said that the um, the uh, the text was actually subordinate to the image in visual poetry compared to concrete poetry, where mm. where the the text was basically the image, right? And then you you know yeah, yeah. wasn't really so that kind of I think that sort of maybe is is still applicable. And for me, one of the things that I noticed is that that the because concrete poetry was such a male dominated um, uh, thing. Um, there were actually a lot of a lot of interesting um, work that wasn't like that being being made, but it wasn't necessarily being being shown. In, it didn't show up in various places, which is why someone like Mirella Bentivoglio had to have her um, connections with women and, and have all of these exhibitions across um, uh, both in Europe and somewhat in North America to kind of bring out. But it wasn't all the style of, of um, and even looking at an anthology like The New Concrete, which came out uh, from um, Hayward Publishing uh, uh, a number of years ago now, oh, about yeah. 2015. It is. It's very much working it, with a few exceptions, of course, but it's working within that grid. And that's a UK anthology. So, yeah, I, I feel that. And yet at the same time, what I noticed uh, through just being even on Facebook or Twitter or all these different social media platforms, Pinterest, Etsy, all these places, there's a lot of really interesting work being done. And like you, you SJ Fowler, who who did the, a really great blurb on the back of this one is in the book um, in various uh, publications that you've done as well. I mean, he's he's been doing a lot of stuff with handwritten stuff, with film, with photo. 
and taking and um, doing a lot of uh, courses, workshops, and things like that. So there's there's a lot of stuff out there. I think that is is beyond that beyond that sort of narrow. Um, you know, we must use old technology, for instance, we must work with Letraset or even with Letraset, there are people like Kate Seclosi who, who is using Letraset, but also taking it beyond by working with nature and things like that or sewing and things like that. So yeah. I think we're moving. I feel like since maybe since the even since the start of the uh, maybe submission process for this anthology, I feel like we've already maybe moved maybe in part because of steel incisors too. is sort of, you know, pushing people to think outside the very, um, the very horizontal and vertical box. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think you're right. I, th I think the landscape has changed, actually. And I think the kind of explosion of excitement about visual poetry, if that's something I've been very conscious of as well, because, I mean, my main on my main Twitter account, I've been on Twitter for uh, over a decade now, and yeah. I've slowly, slowly sort of built up acquaintances and like-minded people like Richard Biddle, for example. Yeah. Uh, great, great, I've known him for absolute years on, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he, I, you know, I, I just think his work is just magnificent and slowly building up these connections with people and through, and I think Twitter's been, well, maybe not so much now, things that, you know, it's changed a bit, but Twitter yeah. has been very good at helping poets support each other. And I've really seen, I think probably since, late 2019, early 2020, um, a sort of ever-increasing um, general interest in visual poetry and a general sense that maybe I could make that too. You know, actually, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a poet, I've, I've, written, I've written poems, I work with words predominantly, but actually, do you know what? Yeah, I've been on that course or I've seen that thing that somebody did and I think I'm going to make a collage poem or I'm going to do an academic piece or whatever. And there's this delightful... Um, willingness to experiment, just try stuff, you know, and and using so many different techniques, and as you say, often hybridizing techniques to bring two techniques together that haven't traditionally been brought together. That for me is what makes it really exciting and 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 really wonderful and inclusive because it means that you don't have to be this certain sort of person from this certain background with a certain you know <laughs> reverence for a particular in a canon of visual poetry, you can be anybody actually. And if you've got yeah. a paintbrush or a pencil or a smartphone or pretty much anything, you can do it. You, you can, can do it. visual poetry. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of my big things, I suppose, with poetry generally, not just visual poetry. You know, it's that, that thing that from the uh, Tremont, poetry should be made by all. But I'm a big believer in this. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything special about poets. You know, poets oh. are just human beings. And poetry is putting, you know, putting words into sequences, right? And, and I think and visual poetry is, 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 is doing something, it may be similar, but, you know, graphically. Anybody can do that. doesn't mean it'll be good necessarily, but anybody can. And, and, and that, for me, is tremendously powerful because I think that, you know, when we're, when we're children, we, we're encouraged to be... Um, you know, sort of outgoing and adventurous and, and, and self-expressive and creative and, you know, kindergarten, you know, there's your paintbrush, go on, go and paint stuff and write stories and do drawings and make little sculptures and all this stuff. And something happens to us a bit further on in the education system where suddenly 
no, you're only going to do that if it leads to a qualification. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it, it's about judgment and a success criteria. And, and suddenly we're thinking about ourselves as either creative or not creative. And I think that's tremendously sad because I think we've all got a creative spark. I think we're all capable of doing this sort of stuff and enjoying it. And so for me, yeah, seeing this explosion as I see it um, in the past few years has been really, really wonderful, really exciting. Yeah, I, I really think the UK is doing a lot of stuff uh, and, and uh, like there's a lot of people I'm engaged with uh, there that uh, I wish I wasn't so afraid of flying. I'd come over, but I can't. <laughs> I cannot fly. I, it's been years since I've been able to do I'm too claustrophobic now, so I can't really? do it. Yeah, but I, wow. I, I wish, I wish uh, some, some uh, fairy godmother would uh, somehow find a way for us to all be together in some in some room somewhere for a while and, and uh, it would be really fun. Yeah. Lot, I mean, there's just so many uh, British um, and European uh, visual poets and publishers and stuff that I would love to associate with and, and just hang around with in person. I was I was just looking at, um, uh, because we were talking about hybrid work, I, I was just looking at Reverse Butcher's Kaleidoscopic Erasers, which you put out, um, I think it was last year, I, I, I wrote a blur. Yeah, it was January 2022. There you go. That which is only last year, right? Okay, <laughs> just, yeah. just checking. This is a. I mean, the book itself is quite beautiful. I mean, it's a, a full color book, which is not easy to um, to. Uh, but also, uh, Reverse Butcher does some really cool work, and also does virtual reality with visual poetry, which is pretty. Yeah. Exciting. I've published. I've published her um, myself, like a, a few times now. So yeah, I'd love. And some of the work was uh, in Experiment O from there too. So, but I mean, that's the, it, right? She's doing some really amazing work, and you know, it's funny. In, and I hate to say this about visual poetry, but I feel like there's a certain snobbery around certain forms and erasure and uh, collage. I I've always considered them to be more you know as part of visual poetry. I mean a lot a lot of times we're engaging with that, but I I know that when you look at a lot of um, anthologies, it, it's not even there. Like there's no um, there's no collage, yeah. no erasure, and stuff like that. So that's yeah. really peculiar to me. But <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think there is like a sort of hierarchy of forms, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the great things about reverse butcher is that she will just use whatever means are necessary. Exactly. You always feel that she's open to anything expressively and she will use what works for that project and she'll pick and choose. And that's why her work's so, so original. And no one else is making work like her. I, I agree. You know? Especially the really? art stuff is really, but I mean, I also, also the, this book is just, it's just so beautiful and it's like, it uh, is, yeah, it's really engaging too. So um, I said it better in my blurb. So people should. Well, I guess I guess that book is also yeah. out now. So we will have to maybe maybe sometime in the future there will be more more work too. Uh, what I was going to ask you is what are some of the current titles that you have out now that you'd like to talk about, and also what are some possible future titles you want to talk about? Okay. Well, I suppose um, the big we're sort of I'm doing sort of slow reveal on on future titles. Mm-hmm. All right, um, you but, don't but, have to. But, but, <laughs> but um, one that a lot of people know about anyway uh, um, is the anthology um, Seeing um, seeing in Tongues, which is going to be uh, late November, I think. Okay. Um, that And that is uh, a mammoth project. It's more than 50 visual poets have sent me work for that. And the, and the uh, quality and variety is just 
just incredible. Really excited about it. Um, there's a lot of work to do to get it up and running, but that, that'll be really exciting. And I think that'll be, that'll really make people sit up and listen. I'm so very excited about that. In terms of um, things that are already kind of available, I mean, yeah, we've, we've, we have sold out of a few things just recently. I only do very small print runs. It's, it's all yeah. I can afford in the first instance. And I don't very often go to reprint um, unless I can see that, you know, I'll make my money back and it will, they, they will sell. So it's unfortunately necessarily hard-nosed a little bit, really, um, from, from a sort of economic point of view. Um, but I will, I will just mention um, Emma Filtness, the, the Venus Atmosphere. Um, that, that has been one of our most successful uh, titles, and that is the most you know, gorgeous collage work, um, incredibly inventive and, and witty and, and, and moving, and you know, it's, a, it's a really, really slim volume, but you know, it's like whole universes opening up in front of you when you when you look at each each piece. That that's been that's been cracking, and and one that has gone to reprint has reprinted a couple of months ago was um, Kenneth M. Kale. Oh yeah, uh, uh, his his book, um, which I'm just gonna in my slight nerves at being interviewed i'm going to actually have to grab a copy so that i i get the title right i'm right. usually pretty good at just rattling this off because the title itself is amazing grace of vegas bleeds into the dreams of my cryogenic slumber <laughs> uh, and it's magnificent and one of the one of the things i like about about this is it's it's completely digital and he's really showing you what you can do just with a you know a computer and a mouse um and so it's kind of you know digital collage and and text and and color and glitch, but it's very it's it's very very kind of uh, rich. I think sometimes sort of glitch art can be a bit it can be superficially quite arresting at first, um, but then there's not much more to engage you. But but with this stuff, it's it's just incredible. Um, you, you get sort of sucked into this strange vortex. And it's full of kind of film references and and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's that's been um, yeah, that was a joy to publish and uh, great to get it uh, reprinted recently. I uh, I was just looking at uh, in uh, from the mouth of a lion. I was looking at his work, like for instance, uh, these the this title, "Strange News from the Satellite Micro Galaxies: Late Stage Capitalism and Its Role in the Recent Demise of Terra." nine or terra ix probably terra nine but yeah it, they're really uh they are quite arresting his uh, his uh first of all they're they're the colors are very vivid but also it's got that yeah. it's got that kind of um matrixy blade runnery feel to it you know so uh yeah that's pretty cool yeah yeah it does yeah um and i suppose you, you know you juxtapose that with with something like venus atmosphere and they're completely different thematically aesthetically procedurally etc but but they you know these are these are little books that you know are going to really give you a rich experience when you when you point your eyeballs at the pages and that's right. what it's all about yeah you yeah when you um i think is it are you using um for for publishing uh, and do you do you get that published i think it, you go do you go through lulu or another print on demand or did you do that at one point or 
Yeah, so I, I, I did to begin with. So I did with um, the mouth of the lion. I used yeah. to do for um, But um, most of the books um, I've, I've sent to a, a, a printer. So I've had to yeah, that's um, yeah, pay for a batch, essentially. And why, why did I do that? I, I, think, I, I, I think, well, print on demand, I think, makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. But it mm. does make the books more expensive. Um, because they, 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 they won't necessarily guarantee they'll sell anything that you, you've, you've self-published. And so the, the, the price tends to default to, to being quite high, whereas mm -hmm. there are some really great printers. And the printer I use is a UK-based printer called Mixum. Um, and uh, they, they are just they're, they're fantastic, and they offer very competitive products where you, you get to... Uh, you know, you get to um, customize every element of it, from the type of paper to the, the finish on the on the on the cover, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all these things, and the colors are gorgeous. It's good quality, and it's relatively inexpensive to get a print run. You know, um, it's a decent price. So, I, so I kind of thought after doing all the, you know, print on demand stuff, I thought, no, I'm just going to bite the bullet. And I also like quite like the romance of. Yeah. A box of books being delivered. Oh, I know. That's really, you know? really exciting. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it yeah, great? It is. Wow. Look at this box of books. Um, so, yeah, that, that's quite lovely. Uh, but then that's very much the model I'm sticking with. I, I don't think I'm going to go back to print on demand. That's good to know. Yeah, because I, I know that, that when that came out, like, I, well, I've had varying, varying, um, Ex like experience with people's like publishers using print. I haven't used print on demand myself, but I've seen. I mean, the, in the mouth, the mouth of a lion isn't bad actually. That I mean, the quality is pretty yeah. good. Did you? Yeah, I, they, you know, they do a good job. Lulu is pretty good, I think. As print on demand goes, Lulu is pretty good. But uh, I, I think, uh, did you use something different for kaleidoscopic erasures? Did you use your your local or your printer? A different yeah, printer? yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it's got black paper, so uh, yeah, which is sometimes that can be tricky to work with. But uh, no, it looks yeah. it's very nice. Uh, one of the other issues that I encountered back in when I started working in visual poetry was um, there was I felt there was a kind of a snobbishness against uh, color, working in color. Which uh, yeah, so I was where I want like I, as soon as I started to see like Judith Copperthorne's work, which was in color because she was yeah. already using like high tech. She was using like uh, Adobe Illustrator and stuff very early on and other programs. So here in Canada and, you know, now she's in her 80s. So she was, this was already, you know, she's not a young person using these technologies. And I didn't I hadn't run it. It was her and Gary Barwin primarily here who who were using color. And I was really relieved because I'd seen all this sort of, you know, reverence to the black and white uh, work and especially stuff done on, you know, um, typewriters or, you know, you yeah. know, if you're lucky, you got a little red in there, you know, whatever your ribbons could. Yeah. You know. And I, I mean, I like that stuff, too, but I didn't think it was the only way to do it. But and I I, I have synesthesia, so my. Um, my my relationship with color like it can be quite essential sometimes and yeah. so, um i i was yeah. i was i didn't know that i had any legitimate work at the beginning because maybe i didn't anyway but you know uh, whatever that means but uh, yeah color that sort of monochrome it's it's a slightly yeah i know what you, i know what you mean about that it's slightly kind of austere puritanism in a way isn't it yeah. you know you've got to have these kind of pure you know that the the, the 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 white space of the page mustn't be violated too much, and we just have clean lines and a certain neatness to it. 
Um, and I suppose that's one of the things I, I sort of wanted to sort of challenge a bit and say, let's make it messy because maybe that might be a bit more fun. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you too about what is your relationship with color because you do have a you have um you have a, some good like you you have some very colorful palettes in your work you know like yeah and there's a lot of in in cosmic horror there's a lot of kind well there's some there's some bright colors but there's also a lot of kind of beigey orangey colors and white as well so it's like yeah. And there's there's one piece that's got uh, orange and uh, green or, or red and green and black, but a lot of it is um, oh there's some yeah. pinky, pinky yeah purple. I think I think the visual poems in cosmic horror are generally more kind of muted mm -hmm. uh, definitely but I, I think most of my visual poetry um, I really enjoy intense color me too um, so mm -hmm. um, one of the favorite my favorite projects to work on at least. Was, was Bloodstream, which um, Bear Boer Press published um, a couple of years ago. And that came about as a result of um, sort of, uh, I was on my iPad using this, uh, this um, app called Procreate. You might yeah. have used it. Yeah. Um, and I was using Procreate to sort of sketch out sort of vaguely anthropomorphic figures um, but which looks sort of incomplete or sort of semi-embryonic or something. I'm just kind of playing around with forms and with sort of bodies that aren't full bodies, and which is a kind of a recurring thing in a lot of my work. And so I, I'd made a few of these. And I thought, they're quite interesting. And I did, I very much painted them, painted them in Procreate, in kind of right. flesh tones. Um, and then I thought, yeah, they, they, they look quite good. I could probably do something with these. And I thought, actually, it'd be quite good to sort of mess around with them now. And so I then use the different app just to cycle through a lot of random filters and kept cycling, you know, and it's almost like, I suppose, one of those dating apps where you kind of keep swiping. Yeah, no, 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 Tinder no, no, for, no, Tinder for yeah. color. Tinder for color. Tinder for color. Tinder for color. Tinder for color. <laughs> and it was it was like it was like a fuck off Eve Klein blue. It was it was <laughs> so intense and super saturated and violent. I, I just I've never seen anything like it. So that had to be it. So I had to save that version of the filter, which would be randomly generated. I then applied it to all the other ones, and suddenly I thought that's it. But it was all about the color, and I, and I don't think anyone would have been interested in that book if it hadn't been for that blue. I genuinely believe that. That's the best thing it's got going for it. That's really interesting. I mean, I I have such an association with color myself. Do you do you always work with uh, like uh, digital tech, or do you also do physical stuff too? Mostly digital, actually, um, because um, I suppose the thing, with, the thing with physical is you have to have a certain amount of space around you, yeah, and and, so, and some resources, don't you? And um, I've never lived in a big house or a place where I've got space and resources, particularly. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, so actually um, or, you know, or proper like a, like a workspace, you know, some people have, you know, like an office or something. And I have in previous years had that set up and had a, like a sort of office with all my books and a stationary, you know, stationary PC and everything. Sitting it right, absolutely nothing because you just go blank. What I discovered was when, when the iPad came out, which I initially thought, well, what a ridiculous 
the thing is this, who's ever going to want one of these? It's like a, a big phone that you can't use as a phone. What's the point of that? <laughs> but then I got one. Right. And, uh, and it was sort of it was a revelation. And suddenly it was this kind of, you know, digital playground where I could sort of just make stuff. And, 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 and so predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly, I do work digitally. Um, I just find, you know, the kind of, um, I don't know, it, it just encourages me to work really, really hard to achieve effects that I want to achieve. But it also enables me to take some creative risks with random stuff, knowing yeah. that I can un random stuff, exactly. um, you know, or just cycle through a lot of random things like the filter thing I was describing earlier. So, you know, I'm a great, and I think there's a certain amount of snobbery against digital visual. Well, there is a certain there amount is. of snobbery because yeah. I think it's kind of cheating. You know, I think, I think people probably look at it rather as, you know, 19th century oil painters looked at photography, you know, right. <laughs> you can't do that. You're getting a machine to do it for you. But actually there, there are so many ways, aren't there, of using digital technology creatively, you know, and I think if it makes it possible for somebody to do something because they've got a phone and they can scribble some stuff and put some funny filters on it, why not? If the, if the, if what they produced is interesting and worth looking at, why not? What does it matter if it wasn't, yeah. it, it isn't made of real matter, you know? <laughs> That's so, it. What, yeah. Have you tried any uh, to play with any of the AI art programs at all? Yeah, I have a little bit. Um, so I, on OpenAI, um, I, I, I tried to, I, I paid for some credits with yeah. the art. Um, thing on that is it Dolly? Is that how you pronounce it? Dali, Dolly. I never, mm. never know how you pronounce these things. Anyway, whatever it's called. And I just tried typing in some prompts. Um, so far, I haven't liked or used anything that it's created. But what I'd like to be able to do is prompt it to make something which I could then make the basis of something of my yeah. own, you know, and add to it and and, and mess it up and, and that sort of thing. Um, filter, basically use it as a filter rather than as, yeah. as the whole thing yeah for sure yeah I'm, exactly but... just another part of the process maybe yeah, yeah. Although I I, I, I... go ahead Sorry, go on. no i was just saying i I, ha I have tried a little bit myself but i haven't uh i haven't been particularly i haven't but i've seen other people who've done really cool things i, I don't know yeah make more interesting descriptions than i do somehow <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting one, isn't it? It's, it's all about, yeah, it's all about wording the the input, isn't it? And how you do that. But yeah, I haven't really played enough with it to have any sense of what I'm doing really. It's just been a few little experiments so far. But it but it does fascinate me. It really does, this whole AI thing. Because um, I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher by day and, and this is a big, you know, a big source of anxiety in schools. Because, you know, what if kids get, you know, chat GPT to write their essays? You know, what if kids get um, an AI art generator to create something which they're going to submit as part of their photography A-level or something like that? So there's an awful lot of um, anxiety to do with it. But, but I think we, you know, we, we can't close our eyes to the, the kind of exciting potential as well and the way we can maybe harness and harvest some of this stuff for ourselves you know um so yeah it's it's it's, it's an interesting time isn't it at the moment it is it's, 
Did you ever see um, the uh, remake of Battlestar Galactica, the uh, the uh, TV like series? This. I, I saw the miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, there's there's the whole series. I mean, there was an initial one that was horrible years and years ago, but then they did a remake. When was it in the 90s? And and of course, the Cylons were the uh, and ever just now, I feel like when when the the sort of uh, the uh, the sort of forebears of, of when the originators of AI are talking about, um, uh, well, we don't think it's a good idea the way it's going, and we can't, you know, it's you know, it may be, it may uh, be that it's now AI is now able to, uh, um, you know, take control and have consciousness and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, okay, we have Cylons coming to us, but uh, <laughs> so it feels then, close. There's, there's, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it does kind of tap into a lot of sort of existential fear: Will we be replaced? Are we redundant? I mean, uh, BT, British Telecom in the UK, has announced, I don't know how many redundancies, but thousands of redundancies because they can get AI to do those people's jobs. So there is a lot of that kind of fear. But I think the real fear should be about the people who are using the AI or harnessing it to, you know, distort our already, you know, slender grasp on reality. I don't think AI necessarily, we, we mustn't assume, we mustn't kind of anthropomorphize AI and assume it's going to be egotistical like we are or assume that it's going to be power hungry like we are or assume that it's <laughs> going to want to destroy its enemies because, well, if it's artificially intelligent, it won't want to do any of those things, surely. So, you know, but I, th I think it's that, yeah, the people who get to control it the, and, and monetize it, they're, they're the people probably to fear. Probably, yeah, and when we have like... Uh... You know the the, the things like uh, photographs or videos uh, that are not real, basically that yeah. they said this has happened. Like, I think there was a a, a fake picture of uh, our prime minister with some heinous criminal or right wing awful person or something, and people were using that as some, you know, oh this happened, but it it never happened. So those sort of things, like, but I mean, I don't know if we believe anything we see or hear anymore, anyway. So. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, it's terrifying, isn't it? But I don't know what Jean Baudrillard would think if he was still alive. He'd, well, he'd probably be saying, I told you so. Um, but yeah, it, it, is, it is terrifying, isn't it? Um, and, may, and maybe part of the job of poetry is to try to reconnect us with some kind of reality, you know? Um, and, and maybe that reality is itself just as complicated as anything else we get through any other medium. But um, I do think that there's something at the heart of poetry that feels real and and that connects people together and excites people and brings people together. And I, I do think that that's, you know, that, you know, poetry might be one tiny flame in the darkness here. <laughs> there you go. That's a good point. Is there anything else you'd like um, our listeners to know about, uh, about you before we close and about, about uh, what's about uh, steel incisors? Uh, when should we expect, uh, I guess, pre-orders for uh, seeing in tongues to start uh, being uh, pushed and and uh, yeah, promoted? I, yeah, I, I, get, I guess pre-orders are probably open. I, I would imagine be late summer, maybe mm -hmm. like late August or early September, some, sometime around then. I would imagine it's probably, and there'll be obviously there'll be you know a lot of stuff on social media about it. So yeah, so look out for that and look out for other announcements. Do you give us a follow? Um, yeah. on Twitter, um, yeah. stealingsizers at twist.com. Um, anything else? No, I, I think that's it. I mean, I'm, you know, um, 
for me, this is this is all about like we were talking about at the beginning. It's all everything that I'm doing is about making connections with people yeah. and being excited about other people's work and wanting to share other people's work. And um, you know, I just hope that people like you and me can carry on doing that for a very long time. Yeah, me too. If we're not taken over by Cylons, we'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Besides, if we're if we are creating on the cusp of the apocalypse and and massive climate emergency, we'll probably be our creations will maybe be more intense now than they were. So, if ever there is a time to say what we need to say, now is it, right? Yeah. Don't wait. Don't wait. To yeah. That. So that's that. It. That is the message. Don't wait. Don't wait. Yeah. Right. Don't wait. Expected Maybe that should be the new Steel Incisors tagline. Okay, don't wait. I like don't it. Don't wait. You can use it. I don't have it copyrighted. You can, you can use oh, okay. it. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, James, for being on the show. Um, uh, I also would like to thank uh, Charles Earl for processing this um, this uh, episode and all the other episodes, Jennifer Peterson, who helped with the intro and outro, and all of the listeners who are uh, listening and sharing the episode. And uh, stay tuned for our next episode, which I believe is Gareth Audenhole, who's going to talk about his new recording studio, which is La 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 Studios. So that's going to be uh, at the beginning of July. So uh, everyone stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.